Avengers! Welcome back to another Joshless episode of Talking Smack. Uh, we hope to make this a reoccurring theme because, frankly, he leads to many of these. We have Justin from the Movie Wire podcast back. Hello again, Justin. Hello, Alex. Thanks for having me. It was a blast last time. Thanks for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. When I heard that Josh wasn't going to be involved, I immediately thought of you. I got to keep you guys separate. That's my entire goal in life. <laughs> I could just feel the heat from Josh missing another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to dive right into our topic, which is going to be Academy Award nominations. But before we do, I want to give you a moment, Josh. You are quickly becoming my favorite podcast. Alex, you just called me Josh. You oh, Josh my God. In the brain. Did I? Oh, no. Oh. Did I? I'm so sorry, Justin. I am officially second. Oh, oh no. This is not good. No, it, I'm so sorry, Justin. <laughs> It's it's totally fine. I, I'm used to second. You know what? I'll take it. Josh is a fantastic podcaster, as well as you are. But yeah, I mean, the Movie Wire podcast, this is the busy time for me because we're starting to get more movies plugged into the beginning of the year. And of course, what this episode is going to be surrounding is awards time. We just got done with the Golden Globes. So I've had I just released my uh, top favorite films of the year. I hate the words, as you probably listened to the episode. I hate the top <laughs> 10 best. But these are my, that episode surrounds my favorite 10 uh, films of the year. So it's a, it's a busy time um, squeezing everything in this year. Yeah, I have a question for you about that. So is this the busiest part of the year for you, or is it summer? People always put the focus on the summer movie season, you know, pre pandemic, there were like four or five movies releasing every Friday. Um, how does that yeah. balance for you? Summer is actually easier for me because you have a lot of the theaters adding more show times with flexing to everybody being out of school. Um, this time of year, we have a lot more independent kind of question mark films that come out to more of the independent basis. So there's not a lot of show times. You have to, I have to be very strategic on what movies I see. Um, I know a couple episodes ago, I did The Whale that I've been dying to see, and there's just there wasn't a lot um, out there to uh, visit. So this one's actually pretty challenging going in awards times because I have to be very strategic on the, the scheduling. Oh. All right. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so we have Oscar, uh, Oscar nominations. They came out Tuesday morning at the, for me, the bright and early 730 in the morning, which I believe West Coast was 530. Yep. I was and up and at him. Yeah, I was uh, watching it. it. I have an interesting conflict with the Oscars. Uh, my mom loves movies. My mom uh, had me very young and she was very much an eighties child, which I was as well, I guess. And we, she would take me to movies. Like some of my earliest memories are like Terminator two. Um, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing the first Batman in theaters. I had a little, we went to McDonald's first and I got a Batman and this was like a full size cloth Batman. Mm -hmm. um that kind of like you know it was, it was cloth but this face was plastic 
And I remember getting out of the car to go to the theater and I dropped it and I, and it scuffed oh, no. the, this paint on the chin and it left a black mark because, you know, the paint chipped off and it's just a black mold that they, you know, put some flesh tone on. <laughs> I still have that. Um, and we've always watched the Oscars every year. Um, even if my mom wasn't really a big kind of drama or indie film kind of person, she liked the movies and she liked seeing the movies she saw get nominated and of course her favorite actors and instilled that into me. And I, like, I remember I had to be like eight or nine and laughing hysterically at one of the most hated moments in Oscar history of David Letterman hosting oh, and doing yes. the Oprah Uma bit. <laughs> and I was laughing because I had no clue who Uma Thurman was. And I yeah. just thought he was just making kind of, and I knew who Oprah was because my mom was an Oprah fanatic. And I was just like, okay, whoever this is, this is just a funny name. Cause you know, I'm a child and it's like, Oh, funny names. Uh, Uma, that's funny. Oprah. And, I just remember that and like, giggling, you know, my mom, like, and my mom loved David Letterman. Like if she let me stay up late, it would be so we could watch like ER and maybe Letterman, depending if I was good that day or if it was like a Friday or something. Um, so I was like, yeah, my mom was like, you know, loved it. But over the past three or four years, I just kind of stopped watching because I got tired of, they made it too pretentious but it was the wrong yeah. kind of pretentious. Um, I was really turned off at the, when they went to previous uh, hosts, all going up there, um, specifically the actor and actress categories going up there and like saying something kind about every nominee and then announcing who won kind of thing. Like, yes, we're ushering you into our little club. Mm. I despised that. And then there was, this the length just kept seemed to keep getting longer as they're kind of milking bigger hit songs instead of medleys and then there's the kind of like the in memoriam section where they kind of turned it away from we're you know honoring our past who th those who passed away to who's the biggest name we can get at this moment mm -hmm. yeah and then especially i just i was when they decided to do the whole um, the lesser categories, we were just, we'll do them right before air and we'll just do a highlight clip of, yeah, you know, the writers, the sound people, the film editors, the visual effects people. We're just going to put them all aside because we've got to cut this down to three hours, people. We're doing 345. It's too long. We're cutting this down and we're doing that not by getting rid of like supporting actor, short film, something like that, like having, trying to make it fair, in my opinion, mm -hmm. of like, yeah. listen, we'll do like, Supporting actors, some of the sound stuff, some of the other stuff. It was just like, no, these are the categories no one really cares about. You just want to see your actors. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's funny you bring it up because I was going to bring up as an example, too. You talk about the David Letterman a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and he was ahead of his time when it comes to hosting uh, the Oscars because I still remember my favorite moment of that was Tom Hanks when he's helping David Letterman roll out the carpet. And <laughs> yeah. uh, David Letterman goes, would it kill you to wear a tie? And just <laughs> the look of Tom Hanks, of the annoyance. And like, to me, I thought he was a fantastic host. I think it was a little mm -hmm. ahead of his time. But we take, yeah. a, we take a lot of this and the Oscars has gone on a decrescendo over the years and yeah. you talked about it with uh, the Batman uh, Choi, uh, the experience of it all, right? Mm -hmm. The experience of seeing a movie, the experience of 
like with me going to Jurassic Park, getting out of that, going to McDonald's and getting like the uh, big collector's glasses or uh, something like that. Um, but we look at the Oscars prior of a lot of the fun that they integrated into it. Um, even with Robin Williams singing Blame Canada during one of the Oscars, there is a lot of moments like that in the Oscars that we don't see anymore. And it's and it drives me nuts to the point that we are so cookie cutter um, and to what is shown at the Oscars. It is so strict and it's become almost a negative experience and it's become very political and it's political on two bases where you're, you touched on it, which is brilliant, is they have their own club, it seems like. They're thanking each other for uh, their success. And we have the other side of it, which is the real political basis that they have to prove a point where they're on a microphone. Um, and you know what? A lot of people are turned off by that because they want to experience these movies as an experience. They want to get away from that. They want to have that experience of being entertained and being impacted emotionally. Um, and I think we've gotten way too deep into it where people just don't want that negativity coming into their homes and on their TVs. And you're absolutely right. And taking away a lot of those deserved categories to be delivered beforehand is some people might find that boring. But at the same time, like at the end of each of my shows, I say, you know what, I stay for after the credits. So I want to learn something new. I want that fresh face in Hollywood of that, that stunt man, that lighting director, yeah. you know, I want to learn what I liked and I want to see the awards to them. These awards are huge. Um, this is their experience. I want to see those underdogs, uh, accept the award. That's where we get the raw emotion and the gratefulness, not from actors congratulating each other. The last time I think I really had fun watching the Oscars is when Seth MacFarlane hosted. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, he, I mean, yes, it was very crass, but he also wasn't afraid to be like, I'm a TV guy. You guys only have me here because Ted, for some reason was a hit <laughs> and he was just kind of throwing haymakers. Like I will never forget the joke he made about Daniel day Lewis. Um, cause that's when he was, um, mm. one for Abraham Lincoln. And he said, Abraham, he's like, an actor has never gotten so far into the head of Lincoln since John Wilkes Booth. And then when the crowd was like, ooh, he's like, really? 150 years? I forget what his quip was, <laughs> but I think it was something like, I have some Kennedy jokes that are going to blow your mind. I think it was something like that. Oh, yeah. And it yep. really was, was like, I'm not going to ever, he knew he would never be nominated for anything, but he was there to, you know, throw some haymakers, have some fun. And be just irreverent and it was i was laughing so hard and you if you looked at the ratings the ratings shrank that year under him but the 18 to mm -hmm. 49 demographic like tripled because you got young people who mm -hmm. actually turned in because like hey we know who seth mcfarlane is and um stuff like that i i'm well within that demographic but yeah i don't i still don't know if i really want to watch this year other than Brandon it, Fraser winning. <laughs> oh, I'll, we'll get into that yeah, one. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right, too. And if we look to prior to, there was a lot more familiar films that were widely more released with just, you know, maybe a couple here and there that people didn't really hear about. Um, 
now there's so much um, going into it from movies that studios put as a weak release in theaters just to make the qualifiers for the Oscars mm-hmm. that are available on streaming. Um, there And there's a lot more independent, which is yes. fantastic. But the problem we see is we audiences don't get to see those movies till usually a re-release in select theaters after. And when we see those hit theaters, and I, I've said this numerous times on the show, is more often than not, I see more movies um, independent that aren't blockbusters that I say, I am glad I saw that movie mm-hmm. on the big screen versus what I would see with a big blockbuster because there is so much detail and care and emotion that they put in that you can usually more more greatly appreciate seeing it on a big screen than just seeing the same special effects over and over again on yeah. a big screen. And it's it's really important for those to come on screen. I just wish I would get more access to them, um, you know, during throughout the year instead of just on streaming. We summed yes, it up pretty so. <laughs> well. I mean, you know, um, there's a lot with the Oscars. And the one thing I would just caution with the path that it's going down is to focus on just taking itself too seriously is the fact that one door is going to open up another when it comes to kind of the censorship and the pullback we get from creativity. If the awards are going to limit a lot of the creativity from its show, that's going to trickle down to actual creativity from actual pieces of work that we see from movies. And it, it's a small seed that can blossom very quickly. And that's my only big concern with the route the Oscars are going to and why I still watch. And you know what? Each year as we progress, I get a little more nervous as I watch. Oh, really? Just a tad. Uh, When it comes to the seriousness of it. Mm. Uh, Let's go down and check out some of these nominations from this year. Love it. Yep. Going by the Oscars' own website, uh, first up would be actor in a leading role. We have Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin, yep, Brenda Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nighy for Living. I've only seen three of these performances, and yeah, it- I really want Brenda Fraser to win. <laughs> So I'm with you because I think uh, After Sun and Living came out just recently mm-hmm. towards the end of the year and it wasn't available in my area. Um, I, this, I've been saying this over and over again. This category I am rooting for more than any other category. Mm-hmm. And that is Brendan Fraser for the win of the whale. Mm-hmm. The, the, I mean, the I will be okay satisfied with Austin Butler. I wasn't a fan of Elvis. I wasn't. Sold, but I do think Austin Butler did a fantastic job. But Brendan Fraser, that is a performance that will stay with you after you watch. Yeah. Colin Farrell has surprised me recently. I've always thought he was just kind of like a nothing actor, just so kind of like he's a there guy. Just put him in there, he'll do okay. Um, they'll slot him in a role. But over the past two or three years, especially like with the Batman and then this performance, I'm actually starting to begrudgingly like him. <laughs> um, Bill Nye is always doing what Bill Nye does. Yeah. And I really do like Austin Butler and Elvis. Um, mm-hmm. Josh and I gave a review of it and we both had fairly mixed feelings about the movie as a whole, but Butler's performance is really good, except 
I don't believe they gave us enough time with him for me to actually feel him um, in the role. There is a few moments towards the end where I actually felt like I was seeing someone living as Elvis because of the framing, the framework of the movie is um, Tom is uh, Colonel Tom Parker basically Mm -hmm. telling his version of what's going on with Elvis. And that even intrudes upon us in even a lot of the family scenes, he's there lingering in the background or he's entering the household as something's happening or Elvis is going to go get upset and go to see him. So I felt like I got a great performance and I knew what Elvis was as Oscar Butler presented him during the, the first scene in Vegas where he's working with the band that I think is, I was like, I think this kid is really good. Yeah. And he he is super good, and I agree 100%. Um, this movie, Elvis almost was more too focused on uh, Tom Hanks's performance than I think Austin Butler. They just really limited uh, the amount of dialogue at any given time, and that might be to stay in the Elvis character, but I agree. I wanted more from it, um, but with all things holistically said between the musical numbers, um, his uh, body language, you can tell there is a lot of love and uh, work that went into the his uh, study to this role. You don't just walk onto a set overnight and say, I can do this. There, He does it so well. The work paid off for what he put into it. Tom Hanks is a different story. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so for actor in a supporting role, we have Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees, uh, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Cohen for The Banshees, and Ki Huan for everything everything everywhere all at once and i will immediately spoil this if he doesn't if kihu Wan doesn't win i'm going to be pissed yes so mad so 100 mm-hmm. percent. So, so i think brendan gleason did a good job in the banshees or in the banshee um this one i was kind of disappointed that i didn't see paul dano from the fablemans in this one yeah um he did a fantastic job. I think he got a little snubbed in it. Um, I'd rather see that than Judd Hirsch um, nominated. Um, I think that was a complete miss when it comes to the nominations, but I absolutely agree. This one, I think, is going to be a year of underdogs I hope so. um, when it comes to the Actors uh, Awards, and I really hope so. Um, and I think this one is going to be united on the back front of the people that did see everything everywhere everything everywhere all at once and the whale Mm -hmm. i think we're going to see more of a turnout for these two categories than anything else i really hope so actress in a leading role we have kate blanchett for tar anna darmas for blonde and andrea risborn for to leslie michelle williams for the fablemans and michelle yao for everything everywhere all at once who do you think i'm rooting for (laughs) (laughs) definitely michelle yao yes Um, is that who you're rooting for no, <gasps> no. Yeah, okay. Let me rephrase. I'm torn on this topic. So I I loved her. I loved her. I loved her. Um, but I am torn between her and Kate Blanchett because I think they both did a fantastic job. The only thing that's pushing me a little more towards Kate Blanchett is that I think Kate Blanchett had more dialogue to actually prove her delivery on her lines. And it was a very challenging kind of like Austin Butler in mm, Elvis. Okay. She had to portray and convince this audience that she's this maestro 
um, that really had to get into that role. So I think when it comes to challenging and testing the range, I think Kate Blanchett is a little bit above uh, Michelle Yao. Um, but I will be happy if either one wins. I'm a huge fan of both those. But yeah, All I don't right. think uh, All right. Anna Day Armas. That movie, um, I think she was fantastic. Anna Day Armas was fantastic in the movie. But I have so many personal problems with that movie. Um, I, the less said about that movie, the better. Anyways, moving on. Agreed. Moving on <laughs> to actresses in a supporting role. We have Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, Hong Xiao in From the Whale. I apologize if I get these names wrong. Uh, Carrie Condon from The Banshees. Jamie Lee Curtis from Everything Everywhere. And Stephanie uh, Hsu from Everything Everywhere. Lead us off. Who do you want? Uh, hands down, I, I will be shocked if you don't agree with me on this one, unless you're in an Everything Everywhere all at once, like <laughs> obsessed here. But Angela Bassett, yes. hands down hands down mm -hmm. there is not another actress in a supporting role that i can picture had a more powerful performance than she did so angela bassett deserved this nomination she sold this like the moments where i was invested in that movie were her moments of anger her moments of sorrow her moments of rage when i'm seeing a marvel movie only from time to time do i feel like i'm watching acting versus i'm watching a character you know if you put it that if I can put it that way, I'm not sure that yeah. quite makes sense, but I felt like I was watching an actor perform, watching her in those moments of rage, those, those the passion, how she's balancing everything. I actually felt it. The other times in the Marvel movie where I, where I felt that oddly enough was, was um, infinity war with, uh, with Thor, where he's kind of talking about all the things he's lost to rocket. And then his moment with his mother. And so I really think this is well-deserved and I hope she gets it. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm... and yeah. And I think with her, you can tell with, uh, the emotion put into it from, uh, Bozeman on it. When she delivers that line, have I not suffered enough? Mm -hmm. The hair on my arms just went into intensity mode you can like you said you can feel that performance and it's absolutely riveting it is so we now have animated feature film guillermo de toro's pinocchio marcel the sh shell with shoes on puss in boots last wish the sea beast and turning red i will um do an argument that josh had Josh told me he doesn't like that Marcel the shell with shoes on is for animated feature considering 100%. it's live action. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, that being said, my choice is Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio. So before I mm -hmm. give you my pick, oh, yeah. can you please say Marcel the shell with shoes on three times in a row? I can't cause I have braces <laughs> and I have a bit of a list. Oh no. <laughs> My daughter, Brooklyn, my daughter tried to get me to do this and it was an absolute failure. <laughs> <laughs> so Del Toro's Pinocchio, 100%. Um, and I agree. Marcel the Shell with shoes on. That one was a kind of a out of left field for me. Um, I could have sworn that Super Pets was going to just be thrown into that category. <laughs> but agree. Marcel is a much better film. But Del Toro's Pinocchio is beautiful. It is the music, the emotional it's a different spin that's not all uh buttercups and rainbows oh my God. it it is a perfect shown um 
that stays true to, well, not true, but the closest you're going to get to the original literature. I, my problem with this movie, and by problem I mean I love it, is mm-hmm. I saw Pan's Labyrinth years ago. We, I, I just kind of have a love for him, and I want him to make his Mountains of Madness movie. And But anyway, so we went, oh, we, yes. we went out to this little dive indie theater, and we saw it. And I had no clue what was going on. Like, I was not expecting this at all from the trailers. This movie was a sucker punch left and right. And then I watched Pinocchio, and I felt like I was transported back 16 years to seeing <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth. I'm like, what's this? We're in a war? Oh, my God. People are dying. <laughs> things are ha- Horrible things are happening. And then Pan's Labyrinth, I still cannot tell you. The spoiler alert for you know, 16 year old movie that won Oscars and made quite a lot of money. I don't know if she died or not at the end. And I'm watching Pinocchio and I'm like, I'm not sure he's dead or not. (laughs) (laughs) They suggest he is, but I'm not sure last five minutes. We're not a fever dream. Just kind of like AI. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love the, the guts he had with this one because the characters aren't like beautiful. They're not like bright. They're not shiny. He makes it very rugged with a, in in terms of times of war, everything tone wise just matches with this beautiful co- uh, composition score um, and the music that's not toe tapping but heartfelt, and it, you feel it in your you feel it in your gut. I yeah, I just I, I love Guillermo del Toro, but <laughs> he's got to stop sucker punching me every once in a while. I mean seriously, yeah. you know, I mean the Shape of Water. We went and what. Mm. with a bunch of friends mm-hmm. went and saw that and, I'm, and at the end of it i'm like she dead or not that's my problem <laughs> i don't know the fairy tale love in me is like of course she went off to live with pan in the other world forever that's what happened the hedge maze the shape of water yes she turned she was actually uh, a sea creature and she's living with the fish man <laughs> the entire time pinocchio i mm. anyway cinematography <laughs> Just please, you and Josh, do another episode of just Del Toro. Just call it, is she dead or not? <laughs> just please. That is what I want because I want him to, he, he he released part of his like test footage for the Mountains of Madness that was literally shut down like the day before they were going to go film it. And I'm just like, I, I know what's going to happen at the end of that movie because I I own the book. I've read that, you know, that short novel. Are they dead or not? <laughs> um. So cinematography, all oh, quiet on the Western Front, uh, James Friend, uh, Bardo false, false Chronicle of Handful, <clears throat> take two, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Dar- uh, Darius Koheji, Elvis, Mandy Walker, Empire of Light, Roger Deakins, Tar, Florian Hoffmeister. Mm. Um, who do you got? So this one was a tough one for me. Um Empire Light was out of left field for me on this one. Um, I wish Banshee would have been in this category. Um, but I have to say, I said it in my review, All Quiet on the Western Front. I am not a huge like war movie guy because, to me, they run together all the same with the same formula. This one, it is noticeably good when it comes to the cinematography. Um, the detail, the thought put into it. Um, it took me a I think I'm up to my fourth viewing on it. And I actually think this one is well-deserved for the detail they put into the cinematography of this one. So my vote would be for All Quiet on the Western Front. 
Um, so I'm torn about All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, and damn if it isn't good. My problem is, is that I saw the original, which was really good. And, but this one is also really good. And they changed just enough. I will never get out of my head the original ending. I think I think it ends much like the book does, where it's like a very kind of quiet day, the last day of it, and the p- protagonist passes on from being basically sniped. This one mm, is yeah. way more violent. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I did not expect that. And I haven't been so uncomfortable watching a, war, a bit of a war footage since um, the end of Saving Private Ryan during that last battle to save Private Ryan. And they're... Being, people are being stabbed at us slowly and it's a beautiful it, movie yeah. i'd never want to watch it again yeah it's one of those i mean to appreciate it it's one of those that you're just like you know what i want to pop in a movie let me put in all quiet on the western front it's not one of those it's one it's one of those to appreciate the art and what it's trying to do um and i love the fact it's subtitled versus, which adds to the realism of it. Yeah, the I will say uh, I read an opinion that I that I agree with. I'm surprised one of these slots wasn't filled with Top Gun because that movie sells you on the cinematography of you're in the jet, you're flying here, the screams of the jets, the movement, the aerial dynamics. Um, mm-hmm. ha, um I don't know if maybe they kind of cheated that a little bit because. They really didn't have a cinematographer per se because they were having the right. the actors film it all. Um, yeah. But even so, I mean, anyway. Well, and that and that kind of gets into the debate. And I've had this conversation numerous times of what would be more deserving a movie that has like Top Gun that's completely fast paced with consistent movements versus one that has to have an emotional impact to really target you Mm -hmm. versus just exciting you. And that's one of the things that I think the Academy has to narrow down. So that one in cinematography, that one would be one of those great debates to have in this category. Yeah. I mean, cause actually you're, you're very right. Um, because if it is like excitement versus emotion, like I watch so many action films and there's just so many that are just bad. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a problem with the cinematography. They're capturing it well. They're just not, there's no emotion behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, like Top Gun Maverick is emotion. I mean, that, that there's a sequence where they're doing basically the Death Star run. But I'm sitting <laughs> on the edge of my seat going like, holy crap, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Like before they actually yeah. do it, they have to have a, they're do, running all these tests to do the Death Star run. And there's a part where Maverick has to decide, you know, I'm going to do it myself. And I'm like, I mean, in the back of my head, I'm like, of course he's going to do it. I mean, he's going to, but <laughs> I'm still in the edge of my seat going like, and the way they were framing it, editing it, the, the way the action you're seeing, the tightness, the, the, you know, the, the, the sh- uh, whatever. It's a great debate. <laughs> I agree. Moving on. <laughs> Costume design. Babylon, Mary Zoffries, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ruth Carter, Elvis, Catherine Martin. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Shirley Kutra. Miss Harris goes to Paris. Jenny Bavine. Mm, God. You want me to start on this oh, one? Oh, yeah, because I'm trying to figure <laughs> out. I've never, don't think I've even heard of Miss Harris goes to Paris. <laughs> now, that one, I think, was one of my first, like, five, ten episodes, if I remember correctly. Uh, that one, again, out of left field. So I'm not going to even address that one. Um, but this one is 
tough because Babylon, I didn't like Babylon when it comes to the movie, but the costume design was beautiful. Uh, Black Panther, of course, beautiful in some of the scenes. Elvis, I got to go with Elvis on this one. And I'm actually tied hmm. between them. This one I'm torn. Black Panther, the opening, the funeral scene where it really shows mm-hmm. off the costumes, it's absolutely stunning. Elvis is nudging me a little bit because of the consistency uh, throughout from the uh, audience members of the concerts to uh, changing costume designs throughout the years. So they have to be really on point with it. And I think they did a fantastic job with that aspect of the movie. But I don't know. I To me, this is going to be that one category that I'm 50-50 on. I'll be happy with Black Panther or Elvis as the win. I'm actually in the same camp you are. Um, I I love Black Panther, um, but there's just something about Elvis. The costumes. I mean, they're, it reminded me of Rocket Man. I love the film Rocket Man. Um, I don't understand why Elton John hasn't already just made that a play because the way the way they did the framework of it, the scene transitions, him getting props like thrown to him from nowhere to transition from one song to the other, the way the walls move away. I loved Rocket Man way more. Rocket Man was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and the way they adjusted his costumes for the theatrical experience, they honored the original, but they adjusted them is the same way I kind of felt about Elvis. Like I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of um, Elvis's performances and you could see that there's like, yeah, that's something he wore, but at the same time, it's not. And you could see the transition of the decades through the clothing, especially it's, you know, the kind of like fifties teeny bopper kind of like people in the audience to then his maturing crowd to the seventies. And you could just tell the passage of time through his costumes and who, and who was surrounded by without them going like 1974 or this, you know? So <laughs> we move on to directing. We have the Banshees of, uh, in a Sharon. I can never pronounce that. Martin <laughs> McDowell, um, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shenerit, uh, a rare duo actually being honored. The Fablemans, mm-hmm. Spielberg, uh, Tar Todd Field, Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ostlund. Oh, okay. So I think you're going to know what I say on this one if you've listened to my show. (laughs) Um, But this one, let me just say, what a pleasant surprise for Ruben Ostland. Um, This one I didn't see coming, and I think it's absolutely deserving of a nomination. I love Triangle of Sadness. Um, I'm going towards the Banshee of Inishirin on this one. Um, I think uh, Mark McDonough did a fantastic job capturing the scene, uh, scenic views and using that as support to... Uh, the actors and not making it a, just a show and tell kind of feature to it. Um, but I think Tar is going to take this one in my opinion. I agree with you that I think Tar is going to take it, but I wouldn't lean toward Banshees. I'd lean toward everything just because mm. I am so impressed by how bonkers of a presentation they presented that I actually believed. Um, it, that doesn't quite make sense. I understand that, but I never felt like they were putting the camera or they're presenting something, whether through the visual effects or through the different nuances of the acting that I felt removed and started to disassociate myself from my enjoyment. So that's where I got to go with them. 
Yeah, and you know what? I would totally agree, because Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, they also wrote it as well, so they had a clear vision of what they wanted to do. But this one absolutely shows off the chaotic uh, direction that this one has, is they have to be on point on their direction, especially if it's a dual-directed film. Um, this one is... It's at it, the choreograph, the choreographed action scenes to everything. It shows off their talent. So I would agree with exactly what you said. It's a very chaotic film that takes a lot of skill to actually do. So, and I think that might actually put them ahead of the Banshees versus that utilizes the scenic shot. So I actually do agree that you made a really good point. Well, thank you. The Banshees is going to win. I just know it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> actually, probably Tar. I don't know. It, it, that, that one is, I don't know. That one's going to be tough. I can see Tar because of capturing the that... I hate Kate Blanchett in that film. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Documentary feature film. I admit I haven't seen any of these. Um, these all have... Uh, I believe this is what... These are all the producers versus the directors. Um, they're nominated. So I'm not going to read all these names. But there are yeah. five films... All That Breathes, All Beauty and Bloodshed, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, and Navel Knee. Mm. And you said you haven't seen any no. of these. So what I'm going to say is I'm going to go with, no, I haven't seen all of them either. So I think I, the only ones I've seen is Fire of Love and All That Breathes. So I'll base it off of those two, which I shouldn't, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sell me on it. Who? Do, why are you choosing one over the other? So, now, All That Breathe is a very... That one, I love the actual camera movements on it. I love the fact of the topics um, that it tries to uh, portray. But Fire of Love is such an interesting and exciting film. It's available on Disney Plus right now. Really? Um, it is, and it... The volcano shots in it and these two, this couple that are in front of these uh, nature's biggest uh, moments, it's breathtaking. So it just for the pure bravery and shots that this film does, to me, I this one I think should win over all that breeze. I'll just base it on the one that I saw. Fire of Love is definitely going to be one over the other. I am so mad at you right now because I just looked up the synopsis <laughs> of this film and I don't want to cry. So moving on. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to cry. <laughs> Fantastic. I loved it. I was like, oh, this sounds this sounds exciting. And then I got to the second byline. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> so another category which I haven't seen anything from is documentary short film. The Elephant Whispers, Haul Out, How Do You Measure a Year, The Martha Mitchell Effect, Stranger at the Gate. So this is this one, I, I'll i be honest, this is the one that I don't really focus on each year. I think I've seen Stranger at the Gate, but that's about it. Um, and I'll be honest with Stranger, Stranger at the Gate, I think was okay. Um, but I don't know. I... I think there's going to be something better in the nominations to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So moving on to film editing. Now this is us being jerks because we haven't seen these lesser categories, but 
<laughs> but yes, film editing. We have the Banshees of the Banshees. We have Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Alex, I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this one. Oh yeah, we are because you, you know what I'm going with. <laughs> I do. Oh man. So, and again, this goes into the great debate and every one of these films is, is everybody's going to have their opinion on it and a different interpretation. Right. Um, but I, I'll be honest what I'm 50, 50 on it, Mm -hmm. even, and I'm 50, 50, and this might make you happy between everything everywhere, all at once. Um, mainly because of the reasons I said prior. Um, but I'm, torn between the emotion that banshees gave um when it comes to the film editing so you got uh nickel nelson against paul rogers well i'm going with eddie hamilton because top maverick was so well edited (laughs) okay that they 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 had to splice together um all that aerial footage to make it heart stopping, to make it amazing. And the thing about it is, is that I, I loved it. And it was just the right time and the right place that I wanted to see this film over and over again. I mean, yes, there are, I mean, the first five minutes are basically the first five minutes of the first movie, but, <laughs> yeah. and you know, certain beats were going to happen, you know, certain moments were going to happen, but I give, I have to give it them at least something because during the moments where they let the movie breathe, like the moments between Iceman and Maverick, I got to see acting. Mm, and I also yeah. have to give it to them because so many action flicks are still trying to figure out how to move away from shaky cam, sloppy editing to yeah. the Jackie Chan, um, Hong Kong style editing where you actually can see the action happening, which thankfully I'm so happy that more people are coming out of are coming out of that thanks to John Wick doing so well that they're actually letting the stunt people do their jobs. And yeah. To, and we could have had Top Gun Maverick could have looked like stealth. <laughs> could have looked oh, like God. so many other films, but to actually edit to make me believe that this was happening and I part of it is I know it's that it's happening because they're in the they're in the cockpits and all that stuff. But I gotta go with that. I mean if I'm going to be, if yeah. I'm going to be nice, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once should probably actually win. But I want to give something to Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, and I've had this discussion before of because Top Gun isn't on any of my radars, and it's not because it's a bad film. It's an amazing film. Um, it does what it's intended to do, which is to give the nostalgic feels, to give the sense of entertainment, action. It does so many things right, um, and it does exceed when it comes to the thrills that you feel up while you're in the jets. And there is a challenge and a talent there. Um, but to me with any of the nominations, I knew there were top gun was going to be in multiple categories. Um, but here's my personal opinion on that is I think it's just for relatability of the fan base that top gun has. Do I think it deserved it? I think it does a great job, but I do think there's other films that kind of just, surpass it a little bit when it comes to just this category of the film editing. I understand. But you made some great points um, on it because you paint the picture of somebody, you know, the splicing and the editing of these fast paced motions and 
to an extent, they do give the feel of excitement for the audience. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, but you're probably right. More right than I am. (laughs) (laughs) So for the international... You described it so well, though. (laughs) For international feature film, we have All Quiet in the Western Front from Germany, Argentina 1985 from Argentina, Close from Belgium, EO from Poland, The Quiet Girl from Ireland... I've only seen All Quiet on the Western Front, so I have to go with what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's the same here. I haven't seen any, and um, I've heard of them, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't had access to any of the other four, and I'm sure we will after the Oscar time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'll go with what I know. All Quiet on the Western Front. It's It, it wins by default. Yep. Oh, uh, <laughs> we have Makeup and Hairstyling, um, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis and the whale. Each of them have at least two to three people within their category who are up for this. Cause it does take a team to do this. Um, I, I'm leaning to black Panther Wakanda forever. Mm. But at the same time, the Batman, if I didn't know that was Colin Farrell, I would not have known that was Colin Farrell. Yeah. And, the Batman again uh, out of left field for me um, because here's my take on my problem with the Batman. I love the Batman, but I don't give the Batman kudos for um, dressing up Colin Farrell like that because you could use just a normal actor and make him look that way. If we have to hire somebody to manipulate, to look a certain way, it kind of loses its point. And even though the makeup, I mean, and even though I think they did a fantastic job with it, they're still in the audience. We know as Colin Farrell, we know he's made up and it takes away from the imagination and the experience of what we're witnessing on screen. So Batman, even though they did a fantastic job, I'm not considering it. Okay. Um, but I do agree with black Panther. I think the consistency and the amount of work that was put into it, I think was great. And Elvis Kick rocks with the Tom Hanks character. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so, God. The only one I'm going to mention is um, is the whale. And mm. I think that does deserve um, a nomination because, but to be fair, it is a nomination for one character. Yeah. Um, Brendan Fraser, which I, I have, I'm, I'm a bit oversized myself. I'm not going to try to take away from that performance uh, or that makeup and stuff like that. But I do think that it was really a focus on one person versus yeah. an entire ensemble that had to be worked with. Um, I think that does take away a little bit from that, but I can see uh, them, him winning them winning for him because Brandon Fraser this day is a large man. He is not that large. And yeah. the way they seamlessly blended him, the way the body movements they talked about, um, I watched a behind the scenes thing where they talked about how they use different materials and felts and like beads and stuff like that to get the movement right for um, a, a severely obese person. And it is an amazing job. I just don't know if one person really one focus is enough to win an entire category. Yeah. hundred percent. Cause when I first walked out of the whale, I think 
uh, I had that as my second favorite movie of the year. And I had to do multiple rewatches because I keep, this is how good his performance was. It manipulated me almost into giving him uh, that. And The Whale is a fantastic film. It, I, it was my fourth favorite. Um, but I had to look back past the performance and see every other element. And I think you're absolutely right is you can't base it on just that one aspect of it. Um, I think Brendan Fraser was a sport because I think that suit weighed close to like four to 500 pounds mm -hmm. is what um, it was. So kudos. But um, for a complete nomination, I don't think we should base it on just one costume, just like um, to the same standard of like the Batman with the Colin Farrell example. Um, yeah. But um, but I think Black Panther, when it comes to work and creativity, um, I think that one should take the win. Definitely. So we have Music Original Score, All Quiet on the Western Front, Babylon, The Banshees, Everything Everywhere, and The Fablemans. I'm going to let you go first. So my first one on this was going with The Fablemans um, because it was super memorable. Um, and then I took a step back and I had to look at The Banshees of Inishir, and even though not memorable, it tied everything from the environment to the character interactions perfectly um so when it comes to just uh production value i think the banshee of anna sheeran will take it but i think for being memorable and sticking in your head just like john williams usually does i think the fablemans is a great score um, but i think the banshees is going to take it and i think it's well deserved if it does the one i've re-listened to the most is babylon yes but I hate that movie and I refuse oh. to let it win anything. So I agree with you, <laughs> the Banshees <laughs> with Babylon. I think the music was pretty good, but the problem is they blared that music to the point where you couldn't enjoy the performances. It's like they wanted to just shove that score into your face and make it loud. And I couldn't enjoy it. I, and it, if they toned it down a little bit and I can enjoy both the performance and the uh, music, I might have a different story, but I couldn't enjoy it because the music just annoyed the hell out of me. What I really think is that the music for that movie, which was done by uh, Justin Hurwitz, I secretly mm -hmm. believe he was trying to audition for um, a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> where yeah. he, you can't hear anybody, but you can hear my score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have my minute to shine. Everybody <laughs> shut up. Exactly. <laughs> uh, music original score. We have applause from Tell Like a Woman, Diane Warren. Uh, Hold My Hand, Top Gun Maverick, Lady Gaga, and Blood Pop. Huh. <laughs> uh, Lift Me Up from Black Condo, Wakanda Forever. Sorry, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler, Ludwig Gorson. Lyrics by Thames and Ryan Coogler. Uh, Natu Natu from RRR, music by M.M. Kernavadhi, lyric by Chatterbos. Sorry, I, again, apologies if I'm getting some of these names wrong. And this is live from Everything Everywhere at Once, music by Ryan Lott, David Bryn, Mitski, lyrics by Ryan Lott and David Bryn. I'm going to be vulnerable for you with you for a second. Go for it. So, um, I've lit all these I've listened to. There's one that makes me tear up every single time, and that is Lift Me Up uh, by Rihanna. Um, that one, it's 
it tugs at your heartstrings and you separate it from the movie and it's still a great song, but it just fits perfectly into Black Panther Wakanda forever. That one I think is going to take it. And I think that one is well-deserved. I, Uh-oh. I, Uh-oh. I really, I really not too, not too. I really, really like that song. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. fun. Um, but I don't go back to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's with most of them too. I think lift me up is the one that just stays with you. So I think it, it would be well-deserved for best picture. We have 10 because a few years back they broke down and tried <laughs> to get their audience back by nominating everybody. Uh, we have all quite, I really hate this. We have all quiet on the Western front, <laughs> avatar, the way of water, the Banshees, Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once. The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun, Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the honors on this one because I think you know what I'm gonna pick. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go ahead and throw out a few things that we know aren't gonna win. Um, Avatar is okay. not gonna win because Josh hasn't seen it, so it can't win. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's made $2 billion, and if you make over $2 billion in our success, the haters won't let you in, like Josh. Disqualified. <laughs> Josh doesn't hate it. I just give him crap, because we were trying to do a poll of like what we thought the movies uh, Avatar was going to actually do, and he was like, I can see 450 US, maybe 1.3, 1.5 worldwide, and I'm like, no, 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 it's going to do at least 500 US. I'm thinking 1.8. We were both wrong, but yeah. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Elvis is not going to win because I I don't think they like Boz Lerman. I don't know why. Like Moulin Rouge, they didn't they nominated for everything but him for directing that. They're not going to give it to Top Gun Maverick. The only way I can see them giving it to Top Gun Maverick is if they give it to Top Gun Maverick for what a lot of industry insiders have been saying, which is that they need to let Tom Cruise and the movie going audience know, like, hey, listen, we you basically kept amc theaters alive from may until september (laughs) so that we could dump the rest of these movies in before avatar that's what i feel like that nomination is for and i could almost see them giving it to them as a kind of like hey listen thank you for allowing people to go to the theater and you know giving them something to return to over and over because top gun hung around for like five months yeah but i think Avatar, Elvis, and Top Gun can immediately be thrown out as actual considerations for for what they would do. Yeah, and I I would agree. The only one I would take out, I, I kind of called it on another podcast that Triangle of Sadness was going to do better than what most yeah. people thought. Um, but that one could be taken out too. Top Gun Maverick, I think there's no chance um, on it. Woman Talking, that one was one of those movies that just recently got thrown into the mix. But I think we're going to come down to All Quiet on the Western Front, The Banshees of Inishirin, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Babelman's and Tar. If I'm actually being honest about what is actually probably the best picture versus the most rewatchable picture, I'm probably going to go everything. Okay. I can see that. So yeah. with me, like the Top Gun topics coming up more and more, and rightfully so. But one thing to uh, understand with the Oscars is rewatch value, Top Gun, over everything else on this list, Top Gun, hands down, 100% rewatchable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to the achievement of the awards, we're looking at story. Does the editing, does yeah. the cinematography, does everything support it? And we talk about Brendan Fraser um, winning the whale. Now, usually the best actor is film gets nominated for Academy Award. That he's not on this list. And the last time that happened was 2009 with crazy heart with Jeff Bridges. So, Oh, wow. So th- this one's a little unique to it. And th- the best picture has to pull all that together. Um, Top gun for what it is a fantastic thrill ride. Great film. But when it looks at technicalities or, and the technical achievements, I am going to go. And again, Alex, I went through this for probably a good couple of weeks. Um, I'm still going to stick to my guns on the Banshees of Inishirin or the Banshee of Inishirin. You can't argue with that. I mean, it is one of those movies where I don't see it winning individual categories, Mm -hmm. but I can see it winning for what it presented. I think we might get a surprise, though, in your favor. I think everything, everywhere, all at once. With the way the Oscars are going, I think there might be some commercial uh, say in this. I think that might actually, I think it's going to come down to Banshees, Everything All at Once, and Tar. But realistically, Banshee and everything. All right. We have production design. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Babylon, Elvis, and The Fablemans. Which do you think had the best production? I think this one's going to take you by surprise. Um, This one, as much as I disliked this movie, I know I I'm sorry, (laughs) Alex, I got to do it. I do give it credit for its production design. It does look fantastic when it wants to be. And that is, oh, God, I feel dirty. Uh, Babylon. I think Babylon did a fantastic job with its production design. And keep in mind, Alex, this is hard for me. <laughs> Just give me a moment. I am. <laughs> oh, okay. Now that that nightmare is over. What? Yeah, I'm going to edit that out. So, yeah, um, I agree. Elvis, um, probably best. You, <laughs> you know, I really would like to see something like avatar the way of water win for this one but the problem i have with avatar because of the production the way the world is designed the way this everything feels the the way people move around it and this world i have no idea how much of that is is a is a green box that they were just walking around in absolutely and i and that is why i would put more stuff towards the um the visual effects for it and so i have to give it to something like elvis where they had to go choose locations. They had to go make sure they looked right. They had to um, make sure everything fit cohesively to tell their story. I admit you're probably right about Babylon. But anyways, <laughs> Elvis. So we have short film animated. This one made me laugh so hard watching this live because of the titles <laughs> that we'll get to in a moment. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. That is one movie. The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, <laughs> an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. The, I, <laughs> just these so, titles, like, I don't know. I think all these titles should be just one big movie, and I would be super happy. Oh, yeah. So this one, I've only seen Ice Merchants. That's it. So... um and this one, 
I mean, it's it's good, um, but I don't know. It's like one of those I'm not like super impressed with, so it's hard to compare it. But I think my vote should just go to my year of dicks, honestly. I looked up what each of these were about, and my year of dicks. I was like, okay, that if this is an animated like short film. This has got to be like you know something like a, a bunch of like Richards or something, like, you know, a bunch of kids named Dick or something <laughs> like that. No, it's actually about um, a teenager trying to lose their virginity. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and it's based on a true, the true story of the writer like the writer like director and i'm like huh anyway moving on <laughs> i don't know wait i haven't seen so the was it by sarah who was a director? i gotta look this up really quick so sarah uh gunzantori was that the director oh wait no my okay sorry my apologies uh it's pamela i thought it was oh it's ba- yeah it is pamela ribbon okay She's a screenplay author. She is. It's based off of her about her. Oh wow, her memoir. Oh, I kind of want to watch this mm-hmm. now. I'm actually intrigued. I, I I do too. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think I can watch this because <laughs> it's just so. Because like, if it was notes to boys and other things I shouldn't share in public, which was the actual, which was the name of the memoir that she based the screenplay oh. off of that it's directed from, that would be one thing. But I'm really afraid to watch my year of dick. <laughs> yeah, the an ostrich told me I shouldn't watch a weird my year of dick. So <laughs> exactly. Especially, by the way, I hate googling this because Google then asks me like, "Are do you want oh, God. to turn off like safe search?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> not right now." <laughs> oh, uh, for sure, for short film live action, an Irish goodbye. Evulu, La Poupelle, Night Ride, and the Red Suitcase. So this one, again, I'm down to one. I don't focus too much on this one. And that one, the one that I saw was The Irish Goodbye. And this one, I would say, is worth the watch for the performances by themselves. Um, But it is a captivating uh, movie. And I honestly, based on what I saw, it it would be hard to top this one. It can be done. But I think this one is worth a watch, and I think it's a very beautifully shot film. So I would go with an Irish goodbye. We have sound. Now, sound, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar the Way of Water, The Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun Maverick. You already know what I'm going to say, so go ahead. (laughs) Well, I think this one might take you by surprise. So now this one... I am probably going to agree with you um, because I think Top Gun Maverick did a fantastic job with this. Um, only reason I say that the theater has sounded amazing and I have a fantastic home theater in my uh, home that I just cranked that up to and it sounded just as amazing. Um, I love to compare and contrast versus theater versus home and you can tell the editing is spot on when the experience is exactly the same um, to a point. Um, so I'm going to go with Top Gun Maverick. Yes. You got one, Alex. You got one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really would like to go Avatar the Way of Water just because what? Josh thought that movie was going to fail. Oh, there we go. And how dare he? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it has to be Top Gun Maverick for yeah. me. Um, I think All Quiet in the Western Front is just brutal and painful and mm-hmm. in all the good ways for sound. The Batman 
it's not i'm no offense to the sound editors i respect your job but it's not that hard to just hit rain sounds for two and a half hours <laughs> and then occasionally something being punched <laughs> elvis i i have a problem giving it to a film something like this like elvis because it's a jukebox movie yeah and while there is be- other beautiful sounds in there i and Austin Butler sounds like Elvis, but he they uh, they they did admit they were pumping in Elvis's uh, music for the, uh, his voice for this. And so I yeah I'm going to go with Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, and with Elvis, you know what? On paper that must have looked great, but there is so many flaws in Elvis when it comes to the music, from the editing of the uh, songs, adding that contemporary uh, rap mm-hmm. to it, um, and it's just it's a soundtrack. I mean the there's a lot better things out there that show skill than just playing Elvis songs in the background. So we're down to our final three here. We have visual effects, all quiet on the Western front, avatar, the way of water, the Batman, black Panther, Wakanda forever and top gun Maverick. Uh, So uh, this one, I think is going to be a no brainer, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously there's a lot of great, the Batman, not so much. Um, again, left field for me. Um, but <laughs> Avatar, Way of the Water, um, I can't... I, there's nothing that can convince me otherwise that something is up to par on the technical uh, achievements of that film, the way it looked from the uh, CGI lighting to it um, to the contrast between light and dark. Um, across the board, it, there's no question. I, went, I have to agree with you. There are so many points in that movie where i'm like this is photorealistic i don't know where the hell they shot this how they shot this what an amazing job and it's i gotta give it to that yeah and it adds a sense of awe like it's one of those rare movies that we see once every couple years that really kind of drops our jaw slightly but the one thing i will be i'm shocked on is this one where out of all the categories everything everywhere all at once wasn't nominated and the Batman was nominated over this. Huh. Like that's actually a really good point. Like the movie had hot dog fingers. Yeah, I mean, come on. I don't know, but uh, to me, I, I I don't know the reasoning to that one. I think this one they just wanted to throw the Batman in a couple of different categories just because of the consumer feel of it that everybody loved the Batman. Yeah, but I don't know. All right, so our last two categories are the writing categories. You know, the ones that they're probably just going to record beforehand because writers don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so we have All Quiet on the Western Front. Screenplay, uh, this is the adapted screenplay. Uh, so it has to be from a different source material. You have All Quiet on the Western Front. You have The Glass Onion. You have Living, Top Gun Maverick, and Women Talking. I'm going to ask a question that I didn't realize until this moment. Why the hell is the glass signing and Top Gun Maverick in this if they're original stories? Yeah. Oh, God. This one, and I think I've had this conversation with Antonio from The Cult Worthy. I am an adapted screenplay guy. Um, I love film literature. I love the source material. And this, hands down, is the worst year in adapted screenplays that I have seen in a while. This one was tough for me to pick because um, especially like you said, uh, there's 
they they come from original material. Um, but most like Top Gun Mavericks come from the original movie. Glass Onion comes from the original movie. Where's the actual literature that this movie, the movies that have come out this year that deserve this category been? I think this one is disappointing for me, um, but I'll let you get into your pick first. Now that I've set the bar. <laughs> it, is that why that they, that they're in the adapted screenplay because they had prequels? I mean, that, that they're sequels? That, it, yeah. I mean, weird, okay. but yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Knives Out Mystery, that's what I'm thinking. It came from based on the original movies um, on it. So, And I don't think there's a lot here based on a lot of the great work that's come out that shows what an adapted screenplay uh, example would be. So this one's kind of tough for me. Yeah. What do you think? I'm going to have to go with All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Um, to me, it's an adaptation um, that took the original story it reset it from um being in english you know in the being an english you know an english film to back to being a german film and they just changed so much i mean it's still the bare bones are still the same Mm -hmm. um names war ending but they manipulate there was enough manipulation within it that i was pleasantly surprised and I, like I said before, I, I'd never want to see it again. Yeah. But yeah, out of all the, each one, I think based on what we have to compare it to, I think uh, there's some powerful stuff and some clever uh, things that uh, Edward Berger does with it and Leslie Patterson. Um, but I think this one's the most well-deserving of the adapted screenplay category. So the last category, writing original screenplay, we have the Banshees. Everything Everywhere, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. Lead us off. Oh, and this one, again, I'm torn on. Um, so I'm coming down to Banshees of Inisherin and Tar. Both ones, um, The Banshee by Bar- Martin McDonough and Tar by Todd Fields. Uh, both of them have challenges in their own. Um, but said and done, The Banshees put me over just for uh, Martin McDonough's uh, character direction between uh, uh, Farrell. So I think that's where he put him over is that it is a fantastic job and the chemistry is there throughout the entire movie. But what my heart tells me is I do appreciate the power that went into the Fablemans between uh, Spielberg and Tony Kushner um, telling that powerful story. Um, but Banshees is what I'm going with. I have, still need to see all of the Fablemans. I um, somehow have been able to see a lot of the movie. We won't explain how. <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to see it in its entirety, sit down, really digest it. I was against this movie um, just because I find Spielberg doing like, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Give me, give me, give me my childhood back. You know, you're, you're, I don't want you, you to film your own childhood, but <laughs> from what I've seen, um the different scenes and the portions that i've been able to somehow view it's a good movie and i would not be surprised if they kind of give spielberg the nod for that um tar i could definitely see the nod for just kate blanchett's sold that film for sure um i haven't seen enough of triangle of sadness to be able to make a good determination on that banshees is I don't want to say misery porn, but in some ways, a little bit of it is, (laughs) which is why I have to go with everything everywhere because 
I I'm reaching the age in my mid thirties. <laughs> I'm reaching the age where I really like things to win that make me happy. Yeah. And that movie, the message, the the acting, the it just makes me happy. Um, you know. Yeah, and you know what? Between all this, there's good, solid. There's a pattern between all these uh, movies. Everything, everywhere, all at once is a fan favorite to win. Um, and there's a lot to love about it. I love the film. Um, but I think we're going to be surprised by every, well, I will, because I didn't pick it nearly as much, but I think everything everywhere all at once will come out, um, ahead. My prediction was the Banshee was going to win a majority. Um, but I think everything everywhere is going to kind of take me by surprise. But I think with the Spielberg touch, um, when it comes to the Fablemans being a love letter to enhance creativity, um, and the creation of film. Um, what I really do appreciate um, with Spielberg in this one is that he takes his life and he actually encourages the creation and uh, encourages the people to invest their creativity in film. So the messaging is what keeps me attached to the Fablemans on it. Um, whether it was yeah. 100% executed, I not necessarily, but I love the messaging of it. Yeah. Well, there we go. Those are are the nominations. Those are who we think will win or want to win because of emotional stuff. Because you know what? Movies are at their core an entertainment, a way to express emotion and a way to, and hopefully a way to leave feeling a little bit better or at least seeing the world a little bit differently. And so, Justin, this has gone on far longer than i expected <laughs> well so much for our 30 minutes <laughs> yeah but hey told him like that i told him beforehand uh maybe uh, i can see this doing about 30 minutes we'll just kind of gloss over <laughs> but that was a brilliant i loved the outro on that i mean that was uh really well spoken mm. i loved it thank you very good so as always you can follow josh underscore scar at josh underscore scar <laughs> you can follow us at talking smack pod you can join our discord at tsmackpod at uh, gmail.com i'm going to thank you to leo allen for our musical themes beppo and ritual ale studio for our avatars don't forget to please subscribe rate and review and please listen to the movie wire podcast justin is amazing <laughs> and i love his themed the the themed icons and when i see them pop up on spotify it makes me happy when i get the push notification i immediately click listen uh how can they follow you oh you can follow me on instagram twitter and letterbox at movie wire show in celebration of justin bieber selling off his music catalog for 200 million dollars his last act of charity is to remix our musical theme for this episode <laughs> play on justin <laughs> Bye.